All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our last episode of the summer edition of Music Industry Talks here at Syncopated Noise Foundation. My name is Arvind. Of course, I've been your host all throughout the month of August. And today we do have a very special guest for you. For those of you who do not know, we are a nonprofit organization here at Syncopated Noise. We look to provide a platform of support and promotion to independent Canadian musicians, especially during a time of a global pandemic like COVID-19, but they don't have access to promotion and support so that people like you and the rest of the audience of Canada and the world can hear their voice. So that's what we're here to do. Um, in the meantime, as we wait for more and more people to come in, we do want to give you some time to take this link and share it so that your public, your network can join us on the call today as well. And of course, take some time, follow us at Syncopated Noise. We're available on Facebook, Instagram. We have a YouTube channel, Professional Networkers. We're on LinkedIn as well. Of course, you can check out our website. We do want to make sure that you can always access these webinars today and moving forward as we want them to be free. We want as many people to access them. In order to do so, we do need your help. Okay, go to our website. We have a GoFundMe page. Make sure that you and everyone else in the future can have equitable access to these webinars for a platform of support and promotion. Of course, give you like 10 seconds. As I warm up, because we're about to introduce a very special guest today. In 2015, he debuted on the local scene with his debut self-produced album, Life in a Minor Key, which spawned a buzzworthy song called Crash. The song got him media attention on CBC due to the music video that accompanied the song. Following that, he was nominated for Anglophone Artist of the Year in 2017 at the first Gala Dynasty Awards. He since then released several one-off singles and he will be readying himself to release an inspirational single called Fireflies. He's been inspired by Prince, by Babyface, Stevie Wonder, and George, Knight, George Michael, just to name a few. He's a Montreal-based singer, songwriter, producer, Wayne Tennant. Hey, hey, nice to be here. <laughs> so everyone who does not know, Wayne calls himself a slave to melody and harmony. Um, Wayne, you want to expand <laughs> on that? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Of course I know. Um, I believe in, I, <laughs> I believe that melody is king. <laughs> I believe, no, for real. I, I really believe that melody is king. Okay. Um, it is, I mean, that's the basis of music right there. And then harmony comes second um, okay. for me, you know, and um, I, some of the greats have followed that rule to a T. Um, some yeah. of the most memorable music um, it's all about, you know, all about the melody and, 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 and harmony. So that's, 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 that's what I followed. That's okay. what I, Where, that's where'd you learn I that from? <laughs> where'd you learn that from? Um, people closest to me, uh, one of my best friends, um, he's like, he is an avid, uh, how you say, connoisseur when it comes to music. Um, he's a singer, songwriter himself. Okay. Um, and uh, we, we sort of like, as we got older together, you know, we always, you know, share stories on, you know, um, some of our favorite, you know, um, artists and influences. And I remember him saying, you know, melody is king. And I think that was coined by several people. Quincy Jones was one of them. 
um, um, as well as Stevie, a lot of people kind of like follow that. So that's where I got it from. I'm not gonna lie, I might steal that. Just like if I hear people talk do about it. Do it, do it, man, I don't own it, so. That's a strong one line, do you know what I mean? I can just say Melody's King. <laughs> yeah, Melody's King, man, I mean, for okay. real. Like, that's the first thing I look for when I'm listening to other people's music. Okay. If I can walk away and it's stuck in my brain, you know what I mean, to, to some level, then I know you've definitely achieved something on a musical um, scale, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah, so, for sure. Man. Yeah. So I mean, melody is king. <clears throat> yeah, sure and it could be for it could be classical music. It okay. could be it could be it could be rock and roll. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, um, but um, it's a little bit lost these days, in my opinion. Really? Okay. Or um, at times. Why do you um, say that? But I think there's still people. Um, in terms of pop music it's kind of dumbed down. Yes, you have your little nursery rhyme type hooks, you know, that come along, but they're, yeah, everything's starting to sound like it, this down, just basically sound like the same, yeah. you know? Um, nobody's really um, pushing the envelope or when they say they're doing a certain type of genre of music, they somehow do it injustice because they haven't really done their homework. And I really believe that when you're doing a certain type of genre of music, you go back and you listen to who did it before, who, who really um, referenced it um, in a really intelligent way and okay. was successful at doing it, you know, yeah. if yeah, you're yeah. gonna do it, right? you know? So, so yeah, otherwise I personally think you have no business doing it. Okay, yeah. You know? So you have- Don't get me wrong, I believe in evolution. I really right, do. Right, right. Yeah but there's still some basics that you still have to adhere to. Okay. Song structure, you know what I mean? That kind of right. thing, so, okay. yeah. So you emulate successful people, but you need to learn from them in order to do so, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's only right to, especially if you're doing R&B or you're doing rock and roll or you're doing folk, you know right. what I mean? If you're yeah. doing folk, look at the greats like Joni Mitchell or, um, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, those people, you know what I mean? Same thing, R&B, go okay. to the greats like uh, Stevie, Marvin Gaye, um, uh, James Brown, all those greats, you know, yeah. so. Very cool, very cool. So how'd you get introduced to music? Like what was the first time you're like, man, music, I'm gonna run with this. My grandmother, man, my grandmother. My grandmother, um, she's still alive. She just turned 95. Oh, that's huge. Um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she, uh, I, I, I was born in Jamaica. Okay. Um, I was there until I was nine years old and she raised me mm -hmm. up until I was nine. And I remember her uh, singing every morning, humming, always humming. It could be four or five o'clock in the morning, yeah. humming tunes. <laughs> Um, we had we we had a, a Steinway upright piano, and she was self-taught, and she could also read music. Okay. And I remember her playing the piano, and I remember like sitting on my knee next to her while she sat and played the piano. You know what I mean? Or even as young as man, I must have been I don't know maybe three, two, three years old, okay. in the rocking chair and her humming. It <laughs> it was just it was always that you know. Right. Um, and in the islands, you know, um, music is everywhere. 
it's in right. everything. It's, 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 it's part of everything. Okay. So that's, that's what, that's what really did it for me. Really cool. What, what she hum? Do you remember? It was a lot of uh, Christian music, church music. Okay. You know, um, gospel. Gospel. Yeah. You know, traditional Christian hymns, that sort of thing. She was a, she was a choir director and she was also a seamstress. She was um, a dressmaker. Nice. So she, she made, uh, you know, from wedding dresses to, you know, um, repairing dresses, that sort of thing, um, making buttons for tailors. Um, and she also, she also taught at the, uh, at um, uh, one of the big schools in, 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 in Jamaica, um, in my little town, Lucy. Um, she taught, she taught dressmaking. So, yeah. yeah. So how, it, how, how does Seamstress Grandma feel about this Will Smith look he got on? <laughs> overalls you got going on <laughs> she has she has no idea like what do you think what do you if she think what do you think she thinks what's that uh, what, wait sorry what was the question i was gonna say how would how would she feel about this uh, you know this 1990s i don't know i really don't know <laughs> I, she's a traditionalist so she'd probably want me in my suit and tie oh, <laughs> so right. it's just like yeah you know um I mean, uh, for everyone, for everyone back, we were prepping the call and I couldn't get over Wayne's overalls. Got a unique <laughs> look to him today. And I could not- My know. hickory stripes. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot oh, of man. You got You got unique style. I'm sure it wears off in your music. Thank you. you. got that 90s vibe too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think um, I'm influenced from a time where um, image was very important. Okay. Um, it was it was almost like a uniform right um, um i don't know if you're familiar with janelle monet she kind of follows that she followed that for for quite a few years yep. with the you know the tux the black and white that sort of thing or whatever and it's it's so important um as an artist the minute you step out your door mm-hmm. that you represent yourself yep. because you're always working especially if you're an artist yeah. even when you think you're not working um yeah. people remember you um so uh it's just natural for me to um, always be creating. I mean, dressing up is cre- is, a, is a form of creation. So yeah, 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 yeah very cool. So would yeah. you say you have like a like your own Wayne Tennant has his own style? Like he doesn't copy anyone; it's his own stuff. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm not influenced by people, but I always put my twist on it. So I never, if I see something that looks amazingly fly, you know. Um, somewhere along the line, I would take something and, and kind of put a twist on it. You know what I mean? Add a little thing, you know what I mean? Um, just to make it my own. And it's the same thing for music too. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what makes me unique. So a lot of my friends say, man, you, you, I know, I know your look or I know your sound. You know (laughs) what I mean? You have something unique. And a lot of people, it takes them years to develop that. Where I think for me, I was always different. I was always different as, 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 as long as I knew myself yeah. or as long as I've known myself, I've always been different. And for, for a long time, I would say for a long time, um, it, uh, it didn't bother me, but it, I, like, I just wanted to be accepted. You know, when you're in high school, um, you just want to be accepted, but you realize that you don't really want to blend in. Yeah. I came here to be me. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so, you know, otherwise it's like, what's the point? 
Fair enough. You gotta find yourself. So yeah. Okay. So you're influenced by your grandmother, nine years old, you're here in Canada, yeah. And so were, were you working on music um, like through high school or did that come out? That okay, so um I moved, I moved from Jamaica. Um um my my mom, um, she was working up north, northern Manitoba. Okay. So you can imagine me coming from Jamaica <laughs> to this town of 11,000 people, a mining town, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, um, yeah, we're like, you can see polar bears, like it's, it's that sort of thing. So it was a cultural shock for me. Yep. Um, but I was able to, um, I don't know, kind of build up a, um, how you say, a callous towards um, people who thought I was different or try to treat me. I mean, I remember experiencing racism as as young as nine, you know, and being, just being the odd one on one out. Okay. But the great thing was that I was really thankful for that experience because um, rather than become bitter, I learned to be the odd one out and be comfortable with it. Okay. You know, and then at, I I I started to embrace my my difference you know, rather than trying to be um, like everybody else. So those experiences kind of gave me that. And um, I first picked up an instrument. Um, I moved to California after Thompson. Um, I was around, I think I was around 12. And, uh, and my first instrument was a saxophone. Okay. And um, I played that. Um, I lived in California for about two and a half years. Okay. And in that time, you know, I was discovering like people like Michael Jackson, um, which I discovered before I left Jamaica. But I discovered, I think I discovered, I discovered Prince mm -hmm. um, during that time. Um, you know, Terrence Trent Darby, all these, you probably be able to tell my age, but because I'm saying all these names, but some of these names you're probably like, I don't the know classics. who you're talking about. Classics. The I classics. Hope, I, hope those, I hope those names uh, go on for generations as they should, right? Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And David Bowie, I can't forget him. Yeah, yeah. He's the king of being different, you know, and being <laughs> unique. And he, he fought for black music um, at a time when it wasn't cool. So, right. um, yeah. And then I moved back to, to Canada. I moved to Toronto because right. my core of my family was in Toronto. And um, it started, I remember in high school, it started with me um they were gonna have the school talent show so i picture grade nine and um somebody challenged me they said hey you want to do this duet another time there was this guy named johnny gill that was like popular at that time okay and um he had this song called my 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 and it was like a huge r&b hit and it was written by kenneth babyface edmonds who i was like completely um uh in love with so to speak so Anytime he wrote for anyone else, I could tell a sound and I would just, at the time, you know, you read all the liner notes, you know what I mean? Who played what, whatever, who wrote what. And um, so um, I remember his name was Dwayne Morgan. And he said, you want to sing, you want to sing a duet? He sing it at, at the town show. I'm like, and then everybody was just like, yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Right. Anyways, we did the town show and um, we won. Nice. <laughs> and, 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 and I was, I think I was 15, no. Was that no 16? Okay. I was 16 when that happened. And then year after year, the rest of my high school days, 
um, I did the talent show or I sang at commencements. Even when I was graduating, I was singing at other people's graduations, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And I kind of came the teacher's pet, all the teachers. And that's how I, I, uh, I, found my own, I found my own, I don't know, lane in high school, a safe lane where I could exist, you know, right. because somewhere along the line, people thought that was cool because they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when I tried out for the, the basketball team and I didn't make it, I needed to find something and music was the one thing that saved me. Okay. So people who didn't even like me because I could do what I did, they would hang around me. So that got me through. Okay. You know, that was my saving grace. Yeah. Very and then by about Very 19, cool. I started recording professionally. Nice. Yeah. And how'd you get, uh, how'd you make it from high school doing talent shows, stuff like that? And then what was the breakthrough to become a professional? Did you meet someone? Were you networking? Like, how'd that happen? Well, one of the talent shows um, that I did, um, I remember her name was Michaela Agria. Yeah. And she had a friend that was a producer. His name was Derek Grin. I still know him today. I saw him online. He's like producing for everybody. And... um, she introduced me to him. She, I think she passed on my name to him and he invited me to the studio yep. and we proceeded to record something. That was like my first professional ex- experience. And that's when I started to like, oh, maybe I should try writing for myself. That right. type of thing. Okay. So even though it didn't kind of, it didn't, it, it, nothing became of it. Something did become of it because it, it was the spark, right. you know? And then I remembered uh, doing a talent show for the Jamaican Canadian Association in Toronto. And I did a cover of a version that Babyface did called You Are So Beautiful. Mm. Uh, You are so beautiful. I'm sure you know that song. Like, yeah, you know, and uh, I did it. It was acapella. When everybody else was doing its tracks, I did it a cappella, and I won. And I won a recording, um, uh, not a contract, but sort of like recording time. That's it. Recording time at a studio in Toronto. Nice. And I got a certificate from the Jamaican Canadian Association. Okay. And again, I got deeper into that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's where it started. Okay, nice. And then... In terms of uh, with the Jamaican Association, uh, how did you work from there? Were, were you primarily primarily working with like black promotion uh, organizations, or did you start embracing other organizations, and did they embrace your sound as well? Well, um, basically, what ended up happening was um, so I got into college. I wasn't doing music. I was actually studying to be a nurse. Oh no way. <laughs> which is a complete fit. Okay. <laughs> and because why why nurse? My family said to me, um, there's nothing in music. I understand your dream, but how many people make it? That was right. the that was the reality check, right. which was discouraging to me. Right. But uh I didn't I didn't want to listen because I'm stubborn that way. I was just right. the more you tell me that I can't do something, the more I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And I've always been like that, like that. And they always call me stubborn and pig-headed and what have you. So, um, so what I did was I made them happy. I went to school. Um, I did my registered practical nurse um, uh, course, and I worked for eight years in it. 
and on the side, I'd be singing in clubs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as I was finished work or if I wasn't working, I was singing in clubs. And I remember I joined a few bands um, live uh, in the live circuit in Toronto in the live scene. All right. And I remember I used to go to this place called Lava Lounge on Tuesday nights in Toronto. Okay. And um, I don't know if you know Divine Brown. I don't actually. You don't. If no. you haven't heard of that name, she became big, um, I would say 13 years ago, she really had a name okay. and she was recognized, well recognized by Elton John. And she, she, uh, she, her name started to spread around Europe and especially here in Quebec. Um, and uh, anyways, I, long story short, um, they would have open, not, not really an open mic, but they had a jam. And I somehow convinced her that I could sing. And I came on stage and basically I ended up doing backgrounds for her um, for quite a few years um, on those nights. And uh, I, from that spawned um, me working with other musicians. We formed bands, cover bands, did funk bands, that sort of thing or whatever. And my name became synonymous with the, the live scene in Toronto. Um, and I eventually did backgrounds for Ivana Senatilli. Nice. Um, I did um, backgrounds for Snow in, in Farmer. I don't know if you remember that song. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you do backgrounds on that? I did backgrounds. I toured with him. Um, we went to Jamaica, actually. I'm going to put that on today. That is happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i i did that song it was an annoying song but it was a huge hit it's catchy you know, it's good catchy as hell uh, yeah it's there good. again melody you know what i mean <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Hey. laughs> <No. laughs> so um i did backgrounds for him we ended up opening up for sean paul in jamaica on my own on my own home turf that was the last time i went to jamaica back in 2003 okay and uh then eventually it came back and um then i started working officially actually no i joined this band called my, um god made me funky okay and, <laughs> okay <laughs> i know the name alone crazy story unto himself amazing though <laughs> so this band was um they were actually a bar mitzvah um band okay. kind of thing and they had this one rapper called Fat Al, and he had a cape on. It, really ridiculous, but memorable. Right. And eventually they were looking for a singer um, to join the band. And my name got passed around and I got into the band. And they wanted, at, by the time I got into the band, they decided that they were gonna get really serious. They wanted to do this album. they have been trying for years, but when I got into the band, it was like, okay, let's be serious now. Let's actually put together an actual, you know, original record. Right. So um, we started the record and that's when I really started um, my hand at writing. Nice. Like full on uh, writing with, and writing with other people. And um, I wrote, I think three or four tunes on the album. And uh, we eventually toured across Canada. And then, um, I eventually left the band and I moved to Montreal. Okay. I moved to Montreal 
Um, I think I had just exhausted the scene in Toronto and I wanted something a little more laid back um, so I could really create. I had started my EP um, in Toronto and then I finished it in, in, in Montreal. Okay. Um, and I finished it financially by basically going to Morocco and singing in hotels for three years off and on trying to make money. Okay. Um, to, 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 to do this record as well as to just live yeah. kind of thing, you know, yeah. because I, I quit my nurse. I quit the nursing. Okay. Like, I just left it. I literally, I didn't even, I didn't say I was quitting. I just left. To this day, nobody knows what happened to me. And you, went to, you went to Morocco? And, well, I went to Montreal and then I went to Morocco. Okay. And, um, and, and Montreal became my home base. So like when I wasn't working in Morocco, I would come home and then go back again and do another contract. That's sort of thing. Okay. Nice. And I uh, eventually released my first DP called Everything Changes in 2009. But what ended up happening was along with releasing that EP in 2009, I collaborated with a house producer slash DJ called DJ Fred Everything. Okay. And he got signed to a label um, called Ohm Records in San Francisco. Okay. And I collaborated with him. I wrote the melody um, and the lyrics to this song called Merciless. Merciless. It ended up becoming an international underground hit. Um, South Africa was probably one of the biggest places that it really blew up in. Because okay. uh, South Africa is well known for house music, especially, I don't know if you know Kofi, uh, um, Black, uh, Black Coffee. Yes. Yeah. So um, to this day, I'm still getting messages or people um, partying at a festival um, somewhere either in Europe or South Africa playing Merciless in a club with a bunch of like, like hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah. And they're all saying to me, come to South Africa. Come to, I'm like, find me a promoter. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, that's when my name kind of became international. Um, um, and it was through a collaboration. Okay. So there, yeah. Very cool. Um, wow. So you, you jumped around. You've got some good stories there. Um, yeah. I did want to ask, I mean, after you get to Montreal, so you record the EP. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And eventually you ended up getting some recognition. Um, so what was the recognition that you got? So um, what ended up happening was after that EP, because I really kind of co-produced that EP okay. and, um, um, and I wrote on it, but it wasn't enough for me because I was waiting on music, other musicians and it was just frustrating. And I was just like, you know what? You took music in high school, the little theory that you know, um, apply that and uh, get a recording program, um, learn it. And that was encouraged by one of my best friends. He was just like, Wayne, you can do this. Like yeah. stop depending on other musicians, you know, that sort of thing. Right. So um, in 2000, I think 2013, no, sorry, 2014, when I was in Morocco, um, I brought my home studio with me portable studio and I started writing for my what would be my debut album mm -hmm. but what I did was to kind of like uh foreshadow the album I did an e a, a mini EP um of songs that would appear eventually on the album but I really started writing that record um in Morocco so every time I was performing I was writing in my hotel room 
I had my my Mac, I had my, you know, my controller, my keyboards, and I'll be writing all my songs. Yeah. And one of those songs that I wrote um, that got me recognition was was Crash, um, that appeared on the EP as well as the album. Um, and got me um, notoriety um, on CBC. Yep. Um, so by, I basically released the the EP in 2000, was it 2000, 2015? And then by 2016, that's when I released the full length album, which was Life in a Minor Key. Okay. And uh, then um, I would say about a, so 15, 16. And so they like, yeah, so 2017, that's when I, I, uh, I got, um, I got a, an email um, from this organization called Gala Dynasty. And they were gonna basically put together an award show um, similar to something of a Grammy style award show, but recognizing people of color. Because here in Quebec, um, it's very cliquish. So you have the Quebecois community. Yep. You'll have a few token uh, people of color that get into that, but that's it. And they recycle them and they recycle them. Um, you, it's very hard for any, it, it's not very inclusive. People will try to argue with me on that, but it's well known. I'm not afraid to say it. Okay. Um, and um, it's, I mean, just the other day, they, they, they adapted um, an American show, um, New York, uh, was it New York? Um, NYPD, I said NYPD. Anyways, one of those shows, I'll, 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 Not sure. I'll look it up. Anyway, and they basically adopted it. Um, um, they basically took that same, I guess they bought it out. Okay. And um, initially, basically the initial fallout was that um, they didn't have diversity whatsoever. Right. Um, and uh, again, it just goes along with what's well known. So why, so, why do you think that is though? Like why is it just like people are just not, don't like change or... Um, you know, like you said, they're cliquish, but like, why is that not changing? How can, how can that not change? I think um, there's always been a struggle between the English community and the Francophone community. And yeah. from what I've learned, and I've, I've embraced the Francophone community, they've embraced me. Um, so I won't necessarily say anything, uh, how you say, disrespectful to them. However, I call a spade a spade when I see it. Um, I believe that they've always kind of gone on this notion, at least the older generation, um, that we need to protect our language and our culture. Okay. And I understand it. I totally understand it. Um, however, um, if you're secure in your culture, it won't, it, you, 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 won't, you won't be in danger. Right. But it's a mindset that's there. So it is what it is. And so I think this is the result of it, okay. you know? Um, so um, the language, the culture, that sort of thing or whatever. So um, when it comes to, and, and, and even still, and you can be a person of color and speak the language, you still won't be in, in. You'll be a kind of an outsider, okay. you know? So they, they, long and short of it is that um, the, 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 the black community to decide, you know what, we're gonna recognize our own um, and for their achievements in media, television, 
art, visual arts, arts and entertainment, that sort of thing. Okay. And uh, I basically was nominated um, for Anglophone Artist um, of the Year for that first year of, uh, of this awards um, show being put together. Very cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, now that's, I mean, I'd like to keep it on that serious notes. There's a big lens, big scope on <laughs> the Black community, on people of color. There's a lot of things going on in the States. I think it's affecting the entire world. Um, but Wayne, it's a time for us to listen, sit back and listen to, to you, other leaders of these communities to tell us, you know, what's, what's the voice? What are we, what have we been missing for 400 plus years and what should we do moving forward? So, I mean, tell us how you feel, tell us how you think, and tell us what we can do. Listen, it's been, okay. For a lot of my life, um, I've been in my own world, so to speak. I have endured racism, but I've suppressed it. It's just a form of survival. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine when something like COVID happens um, and it forces these issues to come to light. Um, mind you, they've always been there. Right. But I think this time kind of like woke me up. <laughs> It woke me up so hard um, because I guess I've been living in a dream world for the longest time and benefiting where I could, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when you start to see black lives being taken away right in front of your face, like literally on camera, like that's not normal. Yeah. It's now the thing where you're watching black bodies on cameras. It's lifeless. Like it's not normal. And that shook me to the point of anger, to the point where I'm numb now because I've just seen too much of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you know how they say it's important to have the conversation? Um, it is. But there's been, there's a lot of blowback with that um, because you'll get a lot of people who have opinions, who are uninformed. Right. And when it comes to the black community right now, if, you've, if you're a not person who is not of color that has endured or has had any kind of brush with the police, um, imagine that on a daily basis for people of color where you're a moving target mm -hmm. constantly, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where, and that's what I'm trying to tell my white counterparts. It's like, listen, like, listen, listen when we tell you that this is our everyday experience. Like I had to explain um, to my partner, like the whole idea of being black. I've never had to have that conversation until COVID happened, yeah. where I'm, I'm walking into um, a dollar store. This is during COVID and Black Lives Matter. I walk into a dollar store. I have my wireless headphones on. Okay. They go dead. I'm in the middle of the store. So I want to go into my bag to put them back into the cartridge. 
to charge. And then I'm like, I literally stop. I'm like, nope, I can't do that. Because the first thing that's gonna go off on my on camera and it's gonna look like I'm stealing something. So imagine that I have to check myself every day or a cop just, just, just happens to be passing and they're looking my direction and they block eyes. Yeah. My heart skips a beat. I've never really had a run-in with police, but knowing what my black brothers and sisters have to go through every day, that could be me. Yeah. I remember being walking through a parking lot um, back when I was still in high school at six o'clock in the evening, sundown, and I'm going home. And then a cop car pulls up and asks me for my, for my ID mm-hmm. and where am I going? You know what I mean? And those things you have to be equipped with every day. Yeah. And this is Canada. So you can imagine in the US. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my whole thing is, I mean, I literally, I've been literally gaslighted for the last 48 hours since Jacob Blake's death. I don't know if you understand gaslighting. What's that gaslighting? Yeah, just just fired up, right? Oh, that- no. Gaslighting is when is when it's here's an example of it. Okay, so, and it actually happened. So I basically said on my Facebook, everybody should be enraged the fact that somebody could get shot seven times in the back. They did nothing. They were unarmed. Yeah. Right in front of their kids. Okay. And I say this, and then I have friends saying to me, um, he should have cooperated or he should have, um, he, he should have complied. Or, you know, maybe if he wasn't so belligerent or, you know, maybe he shouldn't, you know, you know, maybe if he had just handled a little bit different, the outcome would have been different. Mm-hmm. You know, that's gaslighting because it makes you think that you're going crazy like you did something wrong. I see. Okay, okay, okay. If, you know, situations like, or, or like, you like, you go through a racial, let's say you go through an instance where somebody, uh, I don't know, says something derogatory to you in, 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 that, that, um, that, uh, uh, that involves racism, okay. you know what I mean? Or, or they, they said something that's kind of insulting, but it was a joke. And they say, oh, it was just a joke. Why are you so sensitive? Mm-hmm. That's gaslighting. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people don't know. I just learned about it the other day. And when yeah, I, I was I just mean, like, Hey, that's, I mean, that's good knowledge. I'm glad I know that now. Um, so you've been gaslighting for 48 hours. Yeah. I've been gaslighted. I've been, I've had black people call me nigger. You're, yeah, you're, you're wake up. Like yeah. they basically, they basically said, you know, well, if he didn't have such a horrible past, he wouldn't have been shot because you do have groups of black people that, um, they, they play the game, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They have like, and it comes from slavery where you had the field niggas. I can't believe I'm using this word right now, but I'm using it in as an example. Okay. Um, you had the, the field niggas, which are the, the slaves on the plantation. And then you had the house niggas. And uh, the ones that are in the house, um, they usually have more opportunity they get to eat better food or whatever. They are on the higher echelon of 
black folks. Um, some of them are, they, maybe the slave owner was their father. Okay. So um, they might be a little lighter skin, there's a mix or whatever. So you're treated a little differently, a little bit better, but you're still black or you're still a nigga. So those ones would act a little bit different and they would think that they're better than their darker counterparts. And then what would happen is, is they would learn to play the game. They would snitch on the people that are in the fields, you know what I mean? To make the master, um, to please the master, you understand? Yeah, a little bit, I think yeah. so. Yeah, so that's now trickled down into modern day society. Mm-hmm. where you have, and that's where colorism comes in. Okay. Because within the black community, um, which it, um, you have this issue of, if you're lighter skin, then I'm better than you, mm-hmm. you know, um, or I'll get the better job, that sort of thing, you know what before. I mean? I've heard that before. And I mean, obviously it is, it's not my place to have an opinion about it. So I, I kind of don't, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay to have an opinion no, these days. My opinion, my opinion is, Honestly, I don't think the difference in the, the the skin tone itself, even though it's recognized on my iPhone that there's different skin tones, that shouldn't address someone being blacker than another person. Yeah, it shouldn't be, but uh, that but, but that's to show you that's 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 what the slave owners did to to create division. So that's trickled down now to, to, yeah. to today. And yeah. so you're basically saying, man, there are systemic things, underlying patterns that were established way back when, before slavery was even abolished. Exactly. And because those patterns, those trends still somewhat exist within society, we still have systemic racism. So you're basically saying we got we to gotta un- unwind, pull the strings of those patterns that still exist yes talk about them so that we can eliminate them exactly gathering, right it's like uh, you got to know where you're coming from to know where you're going absolutely okay well put well put you know with with that being said i mean what we're trying to do is have people like you um i, I think a lot of the people that are, are trying to help with this is we're trying to give a platform so that we can hear it and hear what we could do moving forward and what kind of message we should be sending. Um, exactly. And, and so thank you for taking the time to say that for us. Um, always great to have a new opinion about it. And, you know, real quick, I, w- I wanted to mention this. We talked about it on the call um, where that message itself, you know, Black Lives do Matter. And I know they matter to you. That's who you are. Um, do you use that as part of how you write your music and part of the message that you send? Like, are you using that on current projects? Does that influence you today? Absolutely. Um, I actually wrote a song called Why on my, on my debut album, Life in a Minor Key. Okay. And it addresses uh, racism and, um, and, and, and poverty and religion and, and how they use those weapons. Um, it's probably one of my most poignant, um, poignantly written uh, songs to date. And I'm still challenging myself um, to basically reflect society in my writing. Nina Simone basically said that that's our job. Yeah. That um, we reflect what's going on. Um, 
that song, I, it's funny um, that I bring that up because I just did a live version of that song, acoustic version of that song oh, yesterday. It's going to be on a, um, a, uh, a Facebook, uh, I don't know if it's Facebook Live, but it's a Facebook um, presentation okay. called um, Montreal or MTL versus Racism. And um, I did three songs, two covers and one original. And I submitted all my videos and performances. They're basically going to curate them along with other performers. Okay. And um, display it on September 12th. Nice. So there's an example again of me using my art um, for issues that plague us right now. Okay. Very cool. And yeah. I mean, I hope you continue to do that because we want to hear that stuff. I think music itself is a powerful tool for that. And if you're yeah. using that and you know, you're know you using the melody, the harmony in order to send that message out, hopefully we can get more people listening to it that haven't listened historically in the past. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the pandemic really made us put a lens on this and you know, <laughs> it, it made you have a larger scope for it, but made the entire world have a larger scope for it too. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened. I don't know about you, but I'm glad it's happening because that is a conversation that needs to be had and I want to continue to have it. So thank you for yeah. your insights on that. Um, My pleasure. I want, I want to gain more insight from you. What's been going on through the pandemic. I know, you know, there's different movements that have been started. You're obviously working on some projects, uh, but the pandemic's been tough for a lot of people to deal with, especially as independent musicians. You know, a lot of people don't have the same platform. They don't have the same showcases and, and bookings that they used to. Um, so how does Wayne Tennant stay relevant? Um, how does he keep working? How does he make sure he doesn't have to go to Morocco and back <laughs> to make sure his music is still possible? Well, uh, you know, when the pandemic happened, I froze because I was in the midst of preparing my my single that would have come out in may okay. and i had to completely freeze that like i froze for i would say at least two weeks it was hard for me to get out of bed yeah um i i work in music full-time so if i'm not doing my own original music i'm doing corporate events you know and i do that throughout the year and um the season was starting to pick up um um late april May and I was gonna, you know, it's the height of the season goes on and up until October, November, December. So here was I, you know, all that completely to a standstill, only to find out that all my gigs are pushed to 2021. So I'm freaking out. Yeah. You know, and thank God, say what you might say about him, Trudeau came in. Yeah. <laughs> he came through. He came through. And, um, he provided financial assistance. So um, all that marketing money that I was going to be um, working for to basically promote my single was kind of like up in the air. And then so he came in. So I was like, OK, well, I need to continue. And a lot of my, you know, um, my friends and family said, wait, this is the best time to release music right now. It is yeah. the best time. Yeah. People now have time. They will make the time. Right. You know what I mean? True. So I spoke with um, my marketing company um, that I work with called Golden Path Music. Um, 
and I said, okay, what do you think? And they're just like, yeah, it's, you should do it. So um, I, I, I got my dollars together and I, um, I, Fireflies came about. So Fireflies were basically released in June. Mm-hmm. So normally, you know, um, when it comes to visuals, I don't have a lot of music videos, but here was I now, I'm like, I need to have a visual. Okay. I'm gonna actually shoot my own video. Nice. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot my own video and I'm gonna use this iPhone. Okay. And I, I had already started learning a, um, a lot of the technologies um, that you can use on the iPhone to make like seriously high end style videos. Okay. You know, um, but it was like, okay, now I'm gonna challenge myself. So I actually, what I did was I wanted a collaborative effort. So I, I got all my friends together and I said, okay, I, you know, I want you to do a selfie video of yourselves and send me a snippet kind of thing. And of you singing the chorus or doing something or dancing, doing something, you know, with a song. So they all did, I think I got like, I don't know, 15, 16 people to do it. And it was also a way of getting their platforms too. So it was like, we're all helping out each other. So long story short, I got all the clips. I shot myself, um, got some help from some friends to shoot. And I basically edited myself and directed it and put it all together. And um, I'm proud of myself because um, it's got like 32,000 views now. Okay. Wow. Incredible. All that work paid off, right? It paid off. So now I'm preparing now to do my next single, which yep. is called There Ain't No Sunshine. Um, it's off to the distributors. It's going to be out on September the 25th. Okay. Pre-order is on September 8th. Nice. And I started to edit the video. The video has been already shot. Okay. And I'm starting to edit the video. Nice. And then hopefully um, by the end of the year, I will have an EP out. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. So we got uh, a, a new single, new video, EP coming out. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of your advice, if, if I were, was listening, I think I'd pick up on the fact that do it yourself. Do yeah. your, don't rely on others. Do it yourself. What other advice are you giving to, to, to people that hit you up and say, hey, Wayne, how do you do it? How can I do it? Um, take the time to look at the technologies that are out there that are literally in your hands. Okay. And make use of it. It's right. amazing what you already have and you don't know what you can do with it. Right. You know, until you do the research. Um, again, technology is becoming even more accessible. So use what you have. And, um, and uh, yeah, just do your research. Okay. Basically, you know, and you can do it yourself. Very cool. Very cool. Great advice. I did want to catch one other piece of advice before mm-hmm. we get into uh, your social media stuff. With the movement, Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, your Black community, anybody else listening, um, what advice can you give us to say, this is something every single person can do moving forward so that this movement continues? Is it just a trend during the pandemic? It's something that's sustained until we can get that equitability and equity, sorry, equitability and equality back out Mm -hmm. there. Okay, what you can do right now 
again, it sounds, it's, 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 I, it's, I can't say it enough. Have the conversation with your friends, especially people who are not of color. Mm-hmm. Have those conversations. They might be very uncomfortable. In fact, nine times out of 10, they are comfortable because it, the problem is a lot of white folks are sitting in a certain privilege that they're not even aware of because the system was built by them or their, for, or their forefathers for that matter. So they're not even aware. And so when we tackle the issue of white privilege, um, a lot of them, um, they, they, they immediately become defensive. And it's like, don't get offensive or defensive because you didn't do it. Right. You know what I mean? You were born into a system that um, um, fostered that. You know right. what I mean? So you've got to, what we're saying is recognize what you are a part of. Because right now, we as Black people or people of color can't do it by ourselves. We need our white counterparts to help topple the system. Right. You know what I mean? Um, in order for change to happen, we can't do it by ourselves. And it's not overnight. Yeah. It's not, you know, but when you look at like the NBA and the NHL, what they've just done in the last 24 hours, that, that's that right there because it's, 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 it's in the corporate scene, you know, the higher ups, right. you know what I mean? Where um, this, the, the system is really set, you know what I mean? Right. But in the meantime, check with your, lo- your local government, you know what I mean? The people that you vote for, anybody of influence, whether you be a doctor, a lawyer, whoever, you know what I mean? Challenge, have that conversation right. and you know what I mean? Read. Like I'm about to read this bad, this story, uh, story. Um, it's an actual uh, historical um, reference to what happened, um, where, why we are in the system that we are in, called The Battle Cry of Freedom um, by James uh, McPherson. My friend um, lent it to me. It's a very thick book, but you need to learn the history yeah. of, um, of this system of oppression. Um, read, 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 read. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I would say. Okay, so everyone read, listen, have conversations, challenge those that do not listen to listen. Um, yeah. Well said by Wayne. Um, I challenge everybody to do that. Uh, let's take these movements, let's take the lessons that we've been given and the opportunity we've been given to the entire world and actually sustain it and make sure we learn from it and execute the things that will make things better. Um, Wayne, thanks for that. Look out for his upcoming projects. Again, he's got a single coming out, video coming out, an EP coming out. How can we stay up to date, Wayne? How can we follow you? Give us your social media handles. Okay, so all my social media handles can be found on one place, my website, www.waynetenant, W-A-Y-N-E, T-E-N-N-A-N-T dot com. It's all there. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So everyone go check out his website. You can stay up to date with all his things coming out, uh, his unique style, <laughs> unique sound, um, and the visuals that he's all doing. All and look out for collaborations also. I'm appearing okay. on three other projects Perfect. coming out um, in the next month or so. Nice. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. 
Okay. So, so three collaborations. Do you want to mention yeah. who they are? Um, um, okay. So Miller time, which is AKA Max Miller. He has okay. a single coming out um, in September, I think September, October. Okay. Um, I'm also appearing on um, this guy named Farley, who is also from, he's a member of uh, the liquor store. His debut album comes out and I'm on, I think the first or the second single. I'm also on another project, um, uh, a girl named Celine. I'm on, I'm gonna be on one of the singles. Right. So I've, yeah, as well, I'm probably forgetting, I think there's another project I'm on too, but those, those are the ones that are coming up in the immediate future, so. All right, if you haven't heard, Wayne is getting to work, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Work, which is awesome, as you should be doing as well. And like you said, you can just do it yourself. Please do so. Um, but here at Syncopated Noise, uh, we want to thank Wayne for taking the time, sharing his story, giving us some message and advice. Uh, happy to hear it, Wayne. And uh, we'll be happy to hear the upcoming projects and collaborations, singles, and the EP that you got coming out. So awesome, thanks for taking man. the time. And a uh, shout out to uh, Pamela Dennis um, for yeah. hooking me up with this, uh, with this uh, meeting. Yeah, Pamela Dennis. She, she works on our marketing team here at Syncopated Noise. Also does her own thing. Um, I'm sure you yes. can find her, but here at Syncopated Noise, as we did for Wayne today, we're trying to give that platform for you, independent Canadian musicians, to tell your story, um, share your insights, give us some advice, and make sure that your voice is heard, especially during a time where the world is shut down and you can't really have it heard. So we want to give you that platform, and we're going to continue to do that. Although our summer edition is now officially come to an end, we do have a second edition that is gonna appear later this year. Look out for it coming first episode in late November, early December. But that wraps us up here. Go check us out on our social media channels at Syncopated Noise. We got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channel, professional networkers on LinkedIn, please check us out. And of course, we wanna make sure this is free. This is equitable and it's accessible for everybody to come log on and join us during these webinar series and any other initiatives that we have. So we've got to get funded. We have a website. It has a GoFundMe page. Please visit us, donate what you can, make sure we can make this free and make sure we can have as many people affected by our support and promotion for the music scene in Canada. Of course, this wraps us up and I want to thank everyone for taking the time. Wayne for taking the time. Hope thank you, guys you Alicia. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.